For the first time ever, I am thrilled to say we have an official sponsor for the Dirk Talk podcast, and that's Ariat. I've worn Ariat boots on every job site I've visited over the years, traveling in them across five continents. More importantly, I have yet to find a single project where working folks, unlike me, are not wearing Ariat boots and workwear in every condition imaginable. And there's really good reason for that. And that's because it's phenomenal stuff. And the more I've learned about Ariat and the company, the more I've loved their brand. So with this, Ariat is offering any Dirt Talk listener 10% off their next Ariat order at ariat.com slash Dirt Talk. That's 10% off boots, jeans, and workwear at ariat.com slash Dirt Talk or at the link in this episode's description. With that, let's get to the show. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Dirt Talk. I'm your host, Aaron Witt. Today, uh, it's Labor Day, and so no one is online. I'm sitting at my computer in Slack. There's no messages, no emails, nothing. No one will answer my phone, and I don't know anyone in Tennessee with a boat. If you do live in Tennessee and you have a boat and want to have me out, feel free to let me know. I'd love to meet up and use you for your watercraft. Um, but yesterday I posted on Instagram about a Q&A podcast where you submit questions and I answer them. And I have, miraculously, since we do reach a few folks online, some questions in hand that I'm just going to read and answer cold turkey. I haven't really read through these yet. So we're going to go down the list and see what we can come up with. I'm going to give you the straight poop on what I think about all these. Hopefully there's something in there. Hopefully they're not all really stupid. I'm sure there are plenty of plenty of that, though, which I do appreciate. So we're going to get right into it. No guest. If you're looking for a guest, you're in the wrong place. Maybe next week, for sure next week. But today, it's just me, myself, and I answering your questions. Okay, would you ever try and get into working with residential builders? No, I have no interest in working with residential builders. It's So I appreciate all kinds of construction. However, vertical construction, home building, I it just doesn't get me going. And there's, there's more than enough opportunity in the dirt world to sustain us for our indefinite future. I don't think we'll ever have to diversify beyond where we're at now with the opportunity that I, I, I see there. So the answer to that one is no. What was the deciding factor in starting up BuildWit? Um, so as far as the company goes, I started it because I just got sick of my job. And I I don't know. I had I, I, heard a few podcasts and just about, you know, making the leap, taking risk, figuring, you know, if something's wrong, then why are you still there? And it was, I've told the story a bunch, but it was a Tuesday. I was eating lunch outside. I remember it like it was yesterday. And I just asked myself, I didn't walk into the office that morning with any kind of thought about, about quitting that day. I had no idea, but I was sitting at lunch and I just was like, I, this place is not for me. I'm not enjoying what I'm doing. Why am I still here? Why the hell am I coming in still when I know this isn't for me? And I know people say, don't quit. Uh, never quit. 
you know, which yes, don't quit in the grand scheme of things. But when you're going down a path that you know, isn't for you, stop, stop going down it. You know, if you're, if you're absolutely certain, if you've given it everything you got and yet still not jiving, then call it quits. I know people, they quit too quickly for, for the wrong reasons, but if it's for the right reasons and you've given it everything you got, move on. Uh, and that's where I'd gotten with this job was, you know, Hey, I, I don't need to be here anymore. So there was no plan, but step one was just get out of here. And then step two would be to figure it out. Uh, so that's, that's what prompted it. I just didn't want to be there anymore. So I left. Um, who's the person you'd most likely to interview that you haven't met yet? Or who is the person you'd most like to interview? Oh boy. I don't even know. I would probably, I really want to start getting into interviewing some of these older old time guys out in the field that have seen everything there is to see for 40 years. I really want to interview just me personally. I'd love to meet the CEO of Kiwit and the CEO of Caterpillar. I don't know why, but I've always, I think Bruce Grucock over at uh, Kiwit and then um, Jim Umbley at Caterpillar. I would just love to talk to those guys and just kind of get a, get a glimpse into their day-to-day life. It's probably pretty, it's, it's not like the, the blue collar life that a lot of, of people in this industry live, but it really would be fascinating just to know like what it's like to lead such remarkably enormous organizations that are global in this, in this world. So I think that'd be pretty cool. How old were you when you started BuildWit and first company you traveled to film? Um, I was, let's see, it was, I graduated in 2017 and so that's when I was 22. And then I started BuildWit. Actually, I moved back a day before my birthday, like it was, or two days before my birthday. So I think I moved back to start BuildWit on February 20 of 2018. So that puts me at 23 years old and I am 25 now. First company I traveled to. So we did a road trip after. So I drove back to Texas. I was there a week. And then uh, drove back from Texas to Arizona, was there for a week, and then went on a road trip with my best friend Kevin back to Texas, where we stopped by uh, Turner Mining Group site, uh, Cinecola site, and then Ag One. Uh, so we did we, we did a bunch of bunch of stops, and then saw the coal fields out there too, which are super neat. And then the first one I think I flew to might have been there were a few. Granite Rock was one. They they. Flew me up to Monterey Bay area, which was awesome to see their quarry for the first time, to see their operations. That was a really, really cool visit. And then I went out to LB3 real early on, Dylan at Rosso early on. And then I just talked with Matt Moldenhauer about an hour ago. He flew me out and he was probably the first one to actually hand me a check for photographs. I flew out to South Carolina, flew into Charlotte. He paid me, I think it was two grand for a few days out there doing photographs for them, which was, it was a ton of money at the time, especially. And I was so cheap that I, one, I had smashed my camera a week or two prior while I was on a road trip. I left the camera on top of the car, drove off, smashed the hell out of it. And so I didn't have a camera, so I had to go rent a camera. So I showed up in South Carolina with this rented camera that was a ton of money at the time. It was, you know, it was like it was a few hundred bucks a week. I was like, oh God, how am I going to be able to afford this? And then 
I didn't want to pay for a rental car. So I tagged along with Matt from the airport because he flew in every week at that time. And then I stayed in his spare bedroom in his apartment because I didn't want to pay for a hotel. It was total dirtbagging it. And then he handed me a check at the end of that trip. And I, I was amazed. I was like, oh my God, I can actually make money doing this. This is crazy. And that's when it kind of clicked like, wow, that's, I might actually be onto something here. Are you interested in German demo slash earth moving companies and our mindset? I'd love to visit Germany, hoping there's a visit to Germany next year. Once coronavirus cleans up a little bit, there's a few countries and a few different visits we're hoping to pursue next year. And Germany is definitely one of those trips. So hopefully I'm visiting Germany soon. The reason why we've turned down most international work up until this point, because bandwidth is limited we're a small company and I really want to make sure we have everything sorted in our own country before we start really aggressively branching out to others. Um, but there's other markets out there in the world that I think we can, we can accommodate soon. Um, maybe starting next year, which I'm very excited about. How do you deal with difficult people? This is an interesting one because we've largely, removed difficult people from our equation. I know you can't permanently get rid of difficult people, but the way we select our customers now, our partners, we don't like working with people that are pan the ass. And so if they are, we don't work with them. It's that easy. And if they prove to be, we try to get out of the relationship down the road. So everyone we work with is absolutely awesome. Um, but it does get to a point where you can't avoid all difficult people, especially even just going to the grocery store. You know, maybe someone's a pain in the ass at the grocery store. Like you can't avoid a situation like that. It really just is. And again, I'm a 25 year old kid. I don't know anything, but from my perspective, my understanding, if you treat people with, with respect, with patience, with grace, you have no idea who that individual is and what they're going through and what's on their mind and what just happened yesterday and what's going to happen a week. You have no idea. So how can you pass judgment on that individual? Oh, they're just an asshole. It's like, yeah, maybe they are an asshole, but maybe they're just having a bad day. And it's not your, why even spend time thinking about it? Just, Hey, you know, if they want to be poopy pants about whatever they're being poopy pants about, just, okay, great. Let them do it. And don't let it affect you and just be on with your day. It's really helped me just with that mindset, just being patient with people, giving people grace, treating them with respect when they, especially when they don't treat you with respect, still giving them the royal treatment in a very humble manner. It goes a long ways. Even if the situation goes super south, you can walk away from at the end of the day being like, hey, I did the best I could in that situation and I'm proud of myself because of that. Do you see drones becoming more and more a part of the construction industry? Yeah, I mean, they're already out there. We use them all the time. Um, they're being used for surveying and inspections and all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, they're. I think it's going to be a natural thing. Is it going to be like revolutionary and go change everything? I don't think so. But it'll be another tool in the toolbox for contractors, and they're already using them, a lot of them. I don't think. Most of them are using them to their full potential. So when that starts happening, it'll be pretty cool, much like GPS. Okay. What are some of the reasons why bigger companies fired you a while back? Okay. For those of you that don't know, 
we have an internal podcast and I actually told some of these stories at length. I don't want to get into them in a more public forum because I don't want to appear if, you know, I don't talk shit about people. I try not to. I, I, I do I every once in a while? Absolutely. Um, it's human nature. Am I trying to catch myself? Absolutely. So I'm not going to go into it at length. I wish I could tell some of the stories because they're good. They're actually, they're hilarious. Now, after the fact, they were not at all hilarious at the time. Some of the big reasons, though, were uh, we didn't have executive level buy-in. So we were working with a marketing individual or a project manager or someone at kind of the mid-level management position, but we didn't have the owner of the company bought in with us. And they didn't, a lot of times they didn't even know, know we existed. If you don't have that, what we're doing, there's just no way it's going to be successful. So that was a big thing. They didn't really want to change. They wanted to look good, but they didn't really want to go along with it. That was definitely uh, an issue. I didn't have the patience and the capabilities to cater to a big company early on. That was definitely an issue. I didn't have more experienced people to deal with those bigger companies and to meet them where they're at that I do now. Uh, Because a lot of times, like a lot of the big companies we deal with now, I don't deal with all that much. I I work with them like anybody else that builds it would, but I'm not the one... I'm the one selling the vision, but I'm not the one orchestrating the the deal or really making the initial contacts that a lot of that's Dan now. And a lot of that's becoming other individuals that are just more experienced than I am. And so like Dan, you know, he's had a long career. He's a peer to these people. I'm not a peer as, as you know, no matter what I do, I'm still a 25 year old kid at the end of the day. So just understanding that some people, they'll never see me as a peer has gotten me very far to be able to say, you know, I guess it's a more mature position to be like, hey, yeah, maybe I own the company, but I don't belong in this room. Let's go let them figure it out and and I'll help here and there. And then hopefully we come to a come to a deal. But I think the biggest thing there was buy-in from the top. If we didn't have the owner behind us, it was doomed from the very beginning. What's your favorite type of dirt? I don't discriminate. I love all dirt equally. How can young guys get seat time as an operator and learn skills? I'm going to speak to this from a non-union perspective. It's two different things. You can either go join the union and go through the apprenticeship program. That's not how I did it because I lived in Arizona and there's no union shops in Arizona. It's it's very strong non-union state. The biggest thing is start out as a laborer or just get a damn job at the company doing whatever you need to do whether it be just pushing a broom for 10 hours a day, push the damn broom for 10 hours a day, prove yourself, earn people's respect, do what you're told, do it really damn well. And when the time's right, ask for opportunity. If a machine's sitting there on lunch, ask, hey, can I go run that for 15 minutes while you guys are eating? Or, hey, could I stay after while you guys are over there and, you know, there's a spare machine there. Maybe I could help out a little bit. Or, you know, hey, could I come by on Saturday? Could you teach me how to do this? If you ask people, you'd be amazed what happens. But you have to, you have to be in a position. You, you have to deserve the opportunity to even ask them in the first place. So you can't just get on to a construction crew and then day two be like, hey, hey guy, give me, give me some seat time. It doesn't work that way. You do have to be patient. You do have to pay your dues and put your head down and work really damn hard. But you'll know when the time's right People love to teach what they know. People want to share uh, what they do and how they do it. So 
that's how I did it. I, I started, I think the first piece of equipment I ran in a, like a construction company setting was a backhoe in the yard. There was a pile of dirt. I'd ask the foreman, can I mess around with it? He said, sure. And then I kind of proved that I could run the backhoe a little bit. So then I ran the backhoe a little bit more when, when opportunities presented itself. And then when I was on the next crew, you know, when it was lunchtime or after hours, I just, I did exactly what I just said I did. I would ask them, did I ever make it to full production operator? No, I never did. Uh, I never will be a production operator, but I've talked with a lot of them and that's how all of them did it. So it's really about getting that respect and then looking for the opportunities and making things happen on your own. No one's going to hand it to you. Active duty Air Force heavy equipment operator. Super cool. Any tips for guys who cross over to civilian construction? Um, honestly, man, this is way outside of my wheelhouse. I have no military experience and little civilian construction experience. I, I guess the, the principles are probably pretty similar. Just keep your head down. Ask for opportunities to find a civilian construction company. Start looking around your neighborhood. Look around your city. Google. See who the better companies are out there. And then ask for a job. Get on and work your butt off and you can go wherever you want to go. Okie dokie, fire emoji, fire emoji, fire emoji. Thank you. Do you have a build with OnlyFans for exclusive equipment photos? Absolutely, I do. Um, but I'm not giving that out here. I like to keep that private. 992 or skid steer. I hate when people put me in a position like this. I think everyone knows... Do I love a good 992? Absolutely. That said, skid steers are way more sweet because they can do anything. Whereas a 992, all it can do is just hog into a face. It can't do a whole lot more. Whereas a skid steer, you can sweep a road with it. You can build a building pad with it. You can dig a trench with it. It is really a fantastic machine. And they're around town all the time. 992s you don't see very much. Can you help me? I am JCB operator. Sorry, man. Don't hire any operators. One dream machine you want to see but haven't had the chance to yet. So I actually have a, a list. I'm looking at it right now. It's on my wall of just a bunch of different machines I want to see and photograph and different operations. I would love to see a Komatsu 575 Superdozer. I know they're only becoming more rare and extraordinarily rare in North America. They're all going to China. But I would I would really love to see one of those running, I think. It would just be cool. It would that would be very sweet. Um, I'd also love to see that big old caterpillar drag line up in Canada. I think that'd be a very cool machine to see too. So that's uh, those are the two things up on my list. Is mayonnaise an instrument? No, Patrick, it's not an instrument. Would make trenchless world look better. Just did it with the dirt world. I don't know what he's saying there. Like I said, I'm reading these cold turkey. What are some key things for a business plan? Um, okay. I don't have a business plan. I've never had a business plan. I really don't think they're all that essential. I've always heard the term business plan. I frankly, I can't even tell you what's on a business plan, what a formal business plan looks like. Cause I don't think I've ever seen one you know, most of the, the company owners that we work with, I don't know if any of them had business plan. It's really just all your business plan is provide value for people. Be get good at what you do. If you provide value endlessly for people, you will make money. 
It's just simple as that. Just keep your head down, work hard, provide value, solve problems. You'll make money, whatever it is. So there was never a business plan to build with. So early on, very much fly by the seat of our pants. Are we still flying by the seat of our pants now? Yes, less so now because there's more people on board, more moving pieces, bigger promises, more money going in and out. So I do have to be more deliberate about my planning. That said, it's still not this elaborate business plan on eight and a half by 11 paper that I look at every day. It's, it's mostly just, you know, our goals, what we want to try to accomplish, what, what we think revenue is going to look like, who the people we are or who the people that we want to hire are, who the people that we want to work with are. And then it's a matter of just putting our heads down and making it happen. So that's what I got on business plan. And I'm going to probably say this five times over in this podcast, please, any advice I give, take it with an enormous grain of salt or just like a whole salt shaker, because I don't know a single thing about anything. And I'm just speaking my mind from experience. Next one. Out of all the businesses you've seen, what are some key areas they need to improve in? Okay. I've been on this thought a lot lately. Most businesses in the construction world do not provide enough emphasis on people and investing in people. Every single one of them will say people are everything. We can't do anything without great people. And yet, if you look at their investment in people and how they actually treat it, it's it's very poor, extremely poor. They're, you know, especially like even just looking at HR, for example, you'll have a big construction company with one HR person primarily there for compliance sake, not as a tool, not, not there to grow their people or to bring on more great people or to use as a, as a management and business function. It's really just a compliance function. So I feel like there's a massive underinvestment in people right now. These construction companies are spending lots of money on all technology and all equipment and all processes and, and all this other fancy stuff. But if you don't have people, none of that matters. And yet they don't invest all that much in people. And I've actually been meaning to call some of the presidents we work with and start having these conversations. Just, I mean, I'm starting to be just more and more frank. And a lot of them I feel like are extremely under investing in people right now. And I know where they want to get to. And to get there, they need to be more serious about investing in people. And that's what I do with my own business. Again, I don't tell anyone to do anything I'm not already doing. We're investing a ton into people right now. A ton. Every, and granted, that's my, that's a majority of my business. I don't have equipment. I don't have materials. I don't have any of that. I just have people. So it's a lot more simple. I just get to focus on one thing. I don't have to focus on other parts of the business. That said, I am trying to invest in people um, in every chance I get because I know that's the only way we get ahead. Okay, you should mention 75 hard or Andy if you haven't already. Excellent point. Andy Frisella is largely the reason why I started BuildWit. Thanks to his podcast at the time, it was the MF CEO project. Now it is the real AF. If you're thinking about starting a business, want to learn more about business, MF CEO project, all his episodes are still on the podcast store. He doesn't do the podcast anymore, but man, there's a lot of gems in there. And I listened from the very beginning from episode one, because I was following him for whatever reason before he started the podcast. I don't even know how I found the guy, but he's, he made a few podcasts about social media. And that's why I started the build account. And that's how all this began. 
Also, 75 Hard, he has this program that will totally change your life. And uh, if you're struggling with self-confidence or doubt or anything like that, my God, it is it is exactly what you're looking for. So look him up, look 75 Hard up, do the homework, and uh, maybe it'll do something for you. He's in, He's not for everybody, so... You know, don't get all bent out of shape if he's not for you, but he has a lot of good things to say, and he's done a lot of good for me. When's your first marathon? I ran my first marathon, when was it? Earlier this year, I think in January. I'm hoping to do a few more this fall when everything shakes out as far as coronavirus goes. And then myself and Chemo, Truth Excavation out in Hawaii. We signed up for a 100-mile race in Texas this February that I've been training for and he's been training for. So I've been doing about 40 to 50 miles a week pretty consistently. I'm going to start getting more into trail running and kind of uh, vary my training a little bit more. But that's the next big thing on the list. How much do you love Jimmy Starbuck? Um I don't like to be super public about this, but Jimmy and I have a very special relationship. I love him very much, and I can't wait to uh, I can't wait for the moment where we are once again reunited. Uh, since we've been we've been away from each other for so long because of the the good old travel bans, so he was supposed to be coming out to Nashville for Trimble Dimensions, and yet it was pushed off to next year. So it'll be a while before him and I are back together once again. Who makes the best skid steer in the hundred horsepower class? All right, frankly, I'm not one to say one machine's better than the other because I don't know. I don't run any of them. I don't own any of them. I'm very inexperienced in that world. That said, I am a total cat Kool-Aid drinker. So is cat the best? Who the hell knows? But if I were to buy one, I would buy a Caterpillar without question. From your experience, what kind of work do you see a need for but few people are doing? Hmm. I think environmental is going to be a big opportunity as time goes on. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity in the software space in the construction industry that has not been exploited yet. Uh, I don't know if I will ever get into that arena, but there's a lot of opportunity in the software space because a lot of the current products are pretty terrible compared to outside software products. Like they're all good but if you compared one of the top estimating softwares to a top sales software out in the other world, it's not comparable. The user experience, you just can't, yeah, it's pretty rough. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there. And there's a lot of opportunities, honestly. I think the industry is going to undergo a massive change because of, like I just said, people. These old school companies, their business model is broken. It's built on... Just give people a paycheck and then they'll give you their loyalty. And in return, you can just beat the hell out of them. It's not how the world works anymore. So these companies are in for a world of hurt once their workforces start to dry up. They're already starting to, but it's it's only going to get worse over the next 10, 20 years. So there's a huge opportunity and a huge market out there for conscious construction companies that are doing the right thing that are treating their their clients at a very high level that are investing in their people that are treating their people right that are thinking differently that are just all in all a better company that really takes care of and values their people because that's not how construction has traditionally 
been conducted. So if you can create a business like that, that really trains people, treats people right, gives them a bigger mission to believe in, gives them something more to believe in than just a paycheck, you're going to go really damn far over the next 10 to 20 years once these bigger old school companies start to get phased out of the industry. It's just a matter of time, in my opinion. How do you keep good company culture? Again, this is something I'm learning right now. I'm deep in this with my own business because we're now to the point where we are starting to develop a culture, which is really exciting. We're a remote team, which is hopefully somewhat coming to an end at the end of this year. So there are limitations to creating a culture with a remote team that I've started to discover. Uh, But it really does come down to creating culture. It really does come down to the mission having a mission that everyone can rally behind and and everyone understands why they're here beyond just a paycheck. Like I just talked about there's values. So allowing people to make their own decisions based on a core common set of values that everyone believes in. So if everyone's aligned at the company, if everyone is working towards the same goal and if everyone believes in the same set of common values, you're going to have a really, really good group. And then it's just about me living them every single day, living the values, living the values, living the mission, and then really spending time training and talking about them, talking, talking, and investing in the culture. It's not, culture's not construction. You th- they think, oh, we have a Christmas party once a year. That's not culture. It's, it's something that happens every day. It's really, it's not these big things. It's not, yeah, we have, you know, free beer at the office. It's really about how people interact with one another and how people take care of the companies you work with. And, it's about the small things. It's not really about the big things. And to create the small things, you need to be very deliberate in how you invest and train it. Have we mastered this? We're very far from it. Will we ever have mastered it? Probably not. But this is something that's on the very forefront of my mind right now as we start to develop a bigger team. And it's it's honestly one of the most exciting aspects of building the company yet is actually starting to create a team. Like we have over 15 full-time people now another 15 part-time. So it's actually putting a team together and then creating a culture. It's so, it's so exciting because it's like, wow, wow, this is actually, something's coming of all this. I've been working my ass off and there's like, there's people that, that believe in what we're doing and they're just doing it on their own. This is so cool. Um, So I'm really excited about that. Uh, It's still new though. So can I talk to it a whole lot? I can't. What happened to the other truck that you have? I only seen two. I have two. I have the F-150 and then I have the F-250. Eventually, we'll have the BuildWit fleet, which will be lots more. That's big picture stuff. Share my Insta. No. That's some stupid account that always shares my pictures. It's like, go take your own pictures, man. Um, What was the first piece of equipment you used to start photo and video taking? Okay, so... Originally, it was my phone, so everyone has an iPhone. They take really damn good pictures now, so okay, there you go. Nothing nothing fancy. Everyone already has one. Um, then I bought, for taking pictures of my hikes and my camping and nature stuff, I bought a Canon 70D. It was a good camera, and then for whatever reason, and that's what I shot with for when I worked with Kiwit my very last summer. And what I worked when I shot with uh, when I was working for Hayden full time in construction after school. And then I transitioned to Sony cameras. Someone had a Sony. I think it was at HSS. They used Sony. So I started using it. 
I started borrowing the cameras that they had available there. And it just, I just loved them. It It's Sony, like, I don't really get into the whole camera thing. Like, oh, this one has better specifications than that one. And, oh, yeah, oh, the dynamic range is so much better. I don't care about any of that. It's really, and I think people get too wound up about that kind of stuff. Does it? Does a more expensive camera take better pictures than a less expensive camera? Absolutely. I'm very happy with the camera I use. That said, it's just use whatever feels right, which is an odd thing to say, but Sony's, they just feel right. I've shot with Nikon. I've shot with Canon. I've shot with the other ones. They don't jive with me as well as the Sony does. It just, it just feels good. So, okay, that's what I'm going to run with. And even if the other ones come out with a better camera, this is just what it what feels right for me. It's a personal thing. It's not, there's no right or wrong to what camera you use. It's just, it's, and that's what people miss. They think there's like a formula there. It's not, it's just like I was, I was just trying to find a lens that works real well for me. I went through probably five of them before I just landed on the one I did. That just feels good. Is it better than any of the other ones? It's probably from a technical standpoint, worse than all the other ones but it's what feels right to me and what I enjoy and what I can do most with. And that's why I settled on it. It's a very abstract concept, but I feel like people, they try to go after what, what they think is the right formula. And in creative work, there is no right formula. The right formula is what's right for you, not anyone else. It's a personal experience. And if you can't understand that, you'll never be all that creative or all that successful in the creative space. Um, first person you hired, what position, why? So technically Dan has been on from the very beginning. Dan, he was the vice president of marketing at HCSS, which is where I was employed. I was in the marketing department. So I was underneath him within his department. I was on my own little island. So I didn't, you know, report to him daily, but we, we spent a lot of time together nonetheless because I was taking over the I build America program, which he previously had a lot of, a lot of say in. And, uh, I went off to go start build with, and he basically said, you know, I'm in the similar position. I'm going to go off and I'm, I just don't feel like this is right for me anymore, uh, where I'm at. And, and I want to go try something new. So we parted ways. And then a few months later, I, I, I could probably go trace the, the timing of it, but, a few months later, we kind of came back together when I started needing help with, I think it was website projects first. A few folks asked about new websites and I went to Dan because he was you know, overseeing a marketing department. He was the only person I knew at the time that was at all involved in marketing. And uh, he started helping us out a little bit. And then he basically, it was a long time before we could actually afford him because he's late in his career. He needs a certain amount of money. I'm a startup, so we kind of had to be creative over that first year and a half, and he took a lot of risk to be on with us. And I told him, you know, hey, we're going to make this work by this date. And he said, yeah, we need it to work by this date. It worked by that date. And he's been on with us ever since, which is really exciting. So technically, he was our first, but legally speaking, our very first hire. It might have been Chell or Angel. One one of the two, I would need to look, uh, but those I, I they basically came on like the first week. I hired Chell because I just needed help. It wasn't really, it wasn't really like a super deliberate move. 
I wasn't like, yeah, I need this skill set and this type of person. It was just a natural fit. He'd been working with us a little bit on the side um, while he had, had a full-time job. So there was really no risk there. He came out to California. I kind of outlined the vision and he got behind the vision and I helped kind of train him up on everything I, I knew so he could take some of the workload off me. And then I knew from the very beginning, I never wanted to do video, um, but everyone really wanted video. So I knew I needed a full-time videographer. That was a need I definitely knew I needed. Uh, and I put out a post saying, hey, we're, we're hoping to hire a full-time videographer. Someone recommended Angel, and then he hired on a few weeks later full-time. And so that was kind of the original. And then I'd, I'd, I'd say the fifth kind of original person was Chase. He was helping us for a very long time as a contractor. Um, and then he came on full-time about a year ago now. Um, and he's just been a remarkable asset to our business too. They're, they've all been, we would be nowhere without any of them. And especially now all the other individuals we've added to the team, but those were the first few folks. Which state has the best barbecue? I don't know if I can say a state um, without question. They're all different. Like Tennessee is good barbecue, you know, Kansas city and then you have Texas and there's all, uh, it's all different. It's in, in every town, every region has its, own barbecue there's this place if i had to say my favorite and this is just it's weird and i don't even think it's the best barbecue out there but there's a place called aptos street barbecue in aptos california on monterey bay and it was one of my first visits like i said not too long ago with granite rock i'd gone out there and it was a surreal experience for me i think that's why it's so fond because I was out there by myself. A big company had bought me a plane ticket to go to Monterey Bay, California. I'd just been to a huge quarry that earlier that day. I just ran on the beach again in Monterey Bay in like April. This is crazy. This is my work now. And then I went to go have this barbecue and they have tons of beers on tap. And the bar barbecue is really good and live music. And I was just sitting there. I was like, this is crazy. I can't believe this is my life. And I can't believe this is like a Tuesday. I, I well, this, this is amazing. So every time I'm back in Monterey Bay, I go there and I guess it's a little nostalgic for me now. How can I get on the podcast? You have to be selected by yours truly. Is there a selection process or criteria? Absolutely not. It's super random. And, uh, Maybe I'll make it a little bit more legitimate down the road, but it'll be like that for the time being because it's no one's rules but mine. What is your favorite color? Uh, since I've been a little kid, green for sure. I don't know why, but that's just what I'm rolling with. Okay, my turn. I'm from Venezuela. I love your job. You are a big inspiration for me. Thank you so much. It's pretty cool to even have the opportunity to reach people from Venezuela. Very surreal. We're still going. We're still going here. Hang in here, folks. Was looking for Let's Take Podcast, Not Having Luck, Search BuildWit, or Dirt Talk on any podcast platform. You will find it. Don't search Dirty Talk, though, because um, other stuff other stuff comes up. So Dirt Talk, please. Did you ever get a Skanska hat? I, mm, I think I had one, but it got super sweaty and gross and disgusting, so I do not have one anymore. And that's Catman Sean. Catman Sean loves his hats. There's a shout out for you, Catman. What's the future going to look like for us younger people? Pretty scary. Mm, 
there's, yeah, is there scary stuff going on right now? Yes, that said, I'm extremely optimistic. I think there's enormous opportunity for young people that are willing to work. Our generation is getting more and more quote unquote soft. And so if you're one of those young people that is willing to put your head down and get dirty and make things happen, I think the world is your oyster and you're in a very good position right now. So I am very optimistic and very excited about my future. If you're not, you're probably in the wrong place. So hopefully you can figure that one out. When will people realize energy is free and that we are all being socially programmed by TV? I don't know, man. I don't watch TV anymore. So I'm trying to avoid that the best I can. What is the one of the worst parts of your job and what is the best slash most rewarding? I don't know if there's like a worst part of my job. I really, I was thinking about the other day, there's nowhere I'd rather be, but here I like, I wholeheartedly believe that there's no doubt in my mind that I'm exactly where I should be right now, which is a very, very good feeling. And like I said, I hope all of you get there at some point because it's, it's really cool. And I'm just here because of dumb luck. That's it's, it's just dumb luck that I'm here. I would say one of the most exhausting parts of my job and one of the parts that grinds me down. Okay. There's a few ways to take this one travel is one of the best and worst parts travel. It grinds you to a pulp in these, these trips. They're, they're long, they're getting longer. We're cramming more into a a day. We're covering more ground in a day than we ever have before. We're working with bigger companies we're, we're doing better work that involves more, more pieces to the puzzle. It's not as simple anymore. There's more people coming with us on these visits, just more logistics. It's, it's a lot. It looks like a, just a ton of fun online. And it is, it's a lot of fun. It's remarkable to be traveling every week and see as much as I do, but it is, it's tough to, to continuously be on the road in different beds. Oftentimes it'll be five, five different beds in a, in a week period in five different cities. It's sometimes in five different States. Like it's just, it's really unique, the kind of travel that we do and really hard. And so it, it does wear me down a lot of times and I'm trying to be careful of how much it wears me down. I need to manage that a little bit better because it is going to catch up with me. But then again, I'm 25. This is the time I'm supposed to be doing this. So I don't feel bad about it. Um, at the same time. And then with where I'm at right now, it's a whole different world than most other 25 year olds. And so that it's a mental struggle. And I just talked about this with Herb the other day. It's a mental struggle, not really being able to relate to a lot of people in my age group. And I've always had that a little bit. And again, it's not any better, not any worse. I wish I could just do what they do more often than not. I wish I could just be like them, quote unquote. And uh, it's hard. It's hard to watch, you know, your peers live this particular life and to have all this fun. And like today, you know, everyone's living it up and Labor Day and this and that. And it's like, well, I'm just hanging out here in Tennessee, like just moved here, don't really know anybody. And it's by it's by choice. I want to be working today. I want to be recording. Like this is what I love to do. But it is psychologically difficult to see that and to sit there and to believe that, no, you're in the right place. Like, don't let that take you off track because you are on the right track. Like just keep 
maintain that sense of belief in what you're doing because you are in the right place. Uh, best, most rewarding, hands down, building the team that we have, putting people together, seeing what they're capable of, watching them grow is so much fun and so remarkable and just serving them. And it's just it, it by far the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my entire life by a long shot is just building a remarkable team of human beings and letting them and just seeing what they're capable of. It's so, so, so much fun. Um, what, who most influenced your passion for dirt work? So I've, a lot of times, you know, someone has their dad or their grandfather or uncle. I didn't have anybody. I, I had, I had no, no dirt work in my life really up until when I was 18. I had like run-ins with, you know, the landscaper and their mini excavator when I was a little kid, or I talk a lot about me going out in, into the cat dealership when I was six years old but I had no exposure to it. I was just naturally, I don't know what it, I think about it all the time, what it was. I don't know what it was. I was just drawn to this damn industry, like a damn magnet. That said, my parents were a huge component of this because they didn't necessarily say, go run to dirt work or give me the idea of dirt work, but they gave me the freedom to choose dirt work. They didn't force me into a certain career path. They didn't force me to a certain school. They didn't, they didn't try to steer me away from construction when I started working construction. They just purely wholeheartedly let me do what I wanted to do. That's it. And just unconditionally supported me, which I think is one of the biggest gifts any kind of parent can give their child. And that's what really led me to get into dirt work because I had the freedom to, to get into dirt work and to chase it. And then I've talked at length about a friend's dad who taught me how to work. I had never had any kind of blue collar hard work experience while I was younger until I was in the very beginning of high school. I borrowed money from him. Um, he taught me how to work. And that's when I somewhat got that blue collar work ethic instilled in me. And um, that whole combination is how I ended up here. You look very experienced. I admire you. No questions. Okay, well... I have someone fooled because I am the opposite of experience. Do you trust Jimmy and I to take you out partying in Melbourne? And this is uh, good old Marty, hardest working bloke in Australia. There's another shout out for you, Marty. He's going to be over the moon. Um, I don't know if a night like that would end okay, but it would be a lot of fun. And I would absolutely go out with those two guys. So trust, I don't think is the word I could use for it, but would I do it? Absolutely. And will we do it? One of these days, absolutely, whenever Melbourne is no longer a police state. And I think that's it. Wow. We got through all the questions. This was actually more successful than I thought it was. So I'll let everyone get back on with their days. I appreciate you listening today. Hopefully that was insightful. If you have any other questions, send me a DM on Instagram. That's probably the easiest way to get to me. I try to answer all of them. I do. It just sometimes takes me a little bit because there's a lot of running around and a lot of things to get to, but I really do try to get to everybody. So if you have any other questions, feel free to reach out. I'm always happy to help however I can. Hopefully this was valuable. If it was valuable, please go share it with someone else that might find value in it. I'm really trying to grow this and try to deliver as much value as I can. There's no sponsors. There's no one paying for this. It's just me 
and a microphone. And it's been a lot of fun. It's very much a selfish endeavor, but it also is a lot of work. So if you enjoy the podcast, I would love nothing more than for you to share it. I appreciate everyone sharing it, especially the Jimmy Starbuck episode. My goodness, you guys loved that one and shared the hell out of it, which I sincerely, sincerely appreciate. Um, it's awesome. We are, let's see right now, we're over 110,000 downloads, which is crazy. I joke all the time that it's like four people listening, but we actually have people listening. And I, I it's, it's very, very exciting and honestly somewhat confusing that people are listening to me talk. But with that, once again, I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you sharing. Stay dirty out there and we'll see you on the next one.